All right. Uh, if you guys have your Bible, open and find Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. So we're not, we're not resuming our study in Romans until next Sunday. I didn't want to start that back till <clears throat> I was sure everybody was uh, back from spring break. And uh, so when we do, we'll pick that up next, next Sunday. And when we do, we'll be in chapter 11. So if you're familiar with Romans, you'll know that chapter 11 is one of the more difficult chapters in the book. And so I would really encourage you at some point this week to read and, and think through Romans 11. And if, you, if you're at it, go ahead and reread Romans 9 and 10 along with 11. That'll help you give some context. And just read and, and think about it for yourself before you come. Being a more difficult chapter, I think if you do that, when we study it next week, you'll just be better equipped. And also before we begin, I just want to say I'm really grateful for Greg Key sitting back there. He's uh, filling in last week. He taught my absence last Sunday, and uh, he always does a real good job. And uh, I've told I've told Greg that I want to I want to ha- give him some more opportunities to teach in here uh, from time to time. Um, one because he's a fantastic teacher, and uh, two because uh, he just recently you know he moved into that role at the university in graphic design, and this is a good way for him to still use his gifts here at Lakeview. And also, while I'm talking about it, one thing we're going to share is this summer. If you're here in the summer, um, which is a fun time to be here, by the way. But if you're here this summer in Sunday school, we're going to teach through uh, First and Second Samuel. We're usually in the Old Testament in the summer, and so Greg and I are going to tag team First and Second Samuel this summer. So go ahead and be putting that on your radar to read pretty soon. Anyway, like I said, we're not resuming Romans till uh, next Sunday. So in in sort of deciding what we we're going to think about today, I was I was drawn to a great passage in Ephesians three. We're going to look at the in the latter half of the chapter, uh, particularly verses fourteen to twenty one. Um, which when you find that and look at it, you'll, you'll notice that it's a prayer. And um, I love dwelling on the different prayers um, in Scripture um, for a number of reasons, but don't miss the, the most obvious thing about them, that when you find a prayer like this in Scripture, uh, this is a prayer that comes straight from God Himself. Right? This, the, and therefore... Uh, it, it means this is, we know that because it's a, it's a written down inspired prayer. It means that this prayer that's written down for us in Scripture um, is entirely according to His will. I mean, it is from the mind and heart of God through, through the Apostle Paul. And therefore, I think these prayers, you find them peppered throughout the New Testament uh, and, and the Old Testament as well, but they're more than well worth your time to 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 dwell on them, to memorize them, um, and not only that, but to incorporate them into your own prayer life. You say, how? Well, um, you know, if you, come on, if you ever come to, to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, um, which if you're not on Wednesday nights before, before CBS on Wednesday nights, if you're not already involved in ESL or youth equipping group or you sing in the choir with me, um, which you should sing in the choir with me, if you're not doing any of those things, I would encourage you, if your time allows, to come to prayer meeting um, uh, at, at, at Lakeview at 6. Um, and you'll notice that m- almost every week, invariably, you pray through a passage of Scripture to begin the hour. Uh, and, and it's just basically you read, a, you read a verse, you think about what that verse says, and then pray a prayer according to what um, that verse just... It, it guides your thoughts as you pray. And... and you know, the, the, mo- the easiest ones to do that with are the prayers themselves because they sort of like, here's what to ask for, 
right? You just ask for whatever the Spirit through Paul asked for. And just think of someone in particular or your own life and ask that for them. Um, because these are prayers that God will always answer. Always. Because they're according to His will. He's already told you, this is what I desire. You know, and, and, it, and it, by the way, it may not be, He may not answer it in the way that you in that moment envision it, but He will invariably answer it in the best way uh, because it's His will written down for us. Anyway, we're going to look at one of those great prayers today here at the end of Ephesians 3. Um, and, you know, it, it, if, if, if you look at it, you'll notice it still starts with, for this reason, I bow. It, it's, a, it's a prayer that it looks like he almost began back in verse 1, uh, but didn't get around to until verse 14. Look back at verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, hyphen, and then it's like he never quite finishes the thought. He gets sidetracked by a related thought, but then he comes back around to it in verse 14, with that, and, he, and he goes with that introductory phrase again. For this reason, I, and then he starts the prayer. It's the same way, by the way, he, uh, he started a prayer back in chapter 1 in verse 15. But this is Paul, think, think, of, think of Ephesians. Ephesians is six chapters. Um, roughly speaking, it's divided in half. Uh, the first half of the book, and this is painting in broad strokes, but the first half of the book is, is more doctrinal. Uh, this is what we believe. And then the second half of the book is like, here's, here's what we do with that truth. It's, it's like more uh, application of what he said. And so what you're, what you're seeing here, we're at the end of chapter 3. This is Paul's conclusion to that first half of the letter. That's from this point on going to issue into those uh, practical applications but this is Paul in a prayer summing up all that he's been teaching for these three chapters. It, it, it just summing it all up into a prayer for them, and that's what I want us to look at. It's, it's actually, like I just said, it's the second prayer that you come across in the first half of Ephesians. The first one was at the end of chapter 1, where it's another good one to memorize and, 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 uh, and, and incorporate into your prayer life. Paul, Paul prayed that they would know the Lord, that they would know all the blessings that we have in Christ in a deeper way, that we would know that God is at work for us with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, and this prayer, in, um, this prayer in chapter 3 is going to function in the same way as that one did back in chapter 1, which as at the, Paul does all this teaching, and it's like he's not just content for you to, to know it, but, but to know it, right? He's going he's gonna to teach all of this doctrine and, and then pray that, that God would, would just deeply root it in your heart and it would, and it would inform the way you live, right? And that's, that's what we see here. And so uh, you can, you'll, you'll see it when we, when we read it here. And I, let's go ahead and do that. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 21. So this is what Paul prays. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that an interesting phrase, by the way? To know 
what surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these we, we always thank you for uh, the word. We, we thank you for your kindness in leaving to us uh, the, these prayers. They teach us so much, not only truth, but they teach us so much about you. That you say, here's what I want you to ask me for. We know that in this prayer, this, this prayer is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And so I ask that as we look at this prayer, would you please give us eyes to see what you would have us to see in it? Would you give us minds to understand the truth it teaches us, but not just minds to understand it, but hearts to embrace it and wills to, uh, to put it into practice in our own lives? Uh, Lord, help us, to, help us to do that this morning. Holy Spirit, would you help us to, uh, to have eyes to see these things, ears to hear? Give me the help that I need to teach. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is a really rich and beautiful prayer, and I just want to walk through it together. I, I'm not going to give you all the points ahead of time. There's, there's going to be five of them. Don't, we're not going to be here forever. Um, I just want to walk through each of these quickly and, and see several truths about God that I think this prayer teaches us. I mean, that's what we want to ask of any text we come to. The first question is, what does it teach me about God? And I think, I think we find several things here. Um, that are worth noting, especially when you remember this is not just a prayer that, God, that Paul prayed. This is a prayer that God himself inspired Paul to pray. And, uh, and so these are not just requests that Paul made to the Lord in prayer, but, but requests that reveal to, a lot to us about, about God. Here's the first truth that I think that we find about God in this, in this uh, prayer, and it's this. God is inclined to answer our prayers for our good. God is inclined to answer our prayers for our good. I think this is laid out for us at the very outset of the prayer. God is inclined to answer our prayers for our good. So Paul begins the prayer in verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul opens the prayer in these two verses reminding us to whom we pray when we pray. And he reminds us first of, of, of God and his character and nature before he makes any request of him. And he begins, he begins saying, for this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees. Uh, when he begins for this reason, it shows you that this, what he's about to pray is flowing out of two and a half chapters of all that he said before. And what, is he, what has he just finished saying? Two and a half chapters of, of, of demonstrating how every spiritual blessing, every single kind of blessing in heaven on earth is found in Jesus Christ. Um, knowing Jesus Christ, being known by him through faith, being found in him, like that's every, every blessing that is worth having is found there, right? And on the heels of all this, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. And then he describes the Lord to whom he prays. And the way he describes him here is important. He says first, I bow my knees before the Father. And we'll notice as we work our way through this uh, prayer that it's thoroughly Trinitarian. So uh, that, that's what 
that the Christian God is unique in that way from any other conception of God, that he's, that he's triune. He's one God in three persons. We see it everywhere in Scripture, but we see it here in particular. So he begins here in verse 14, and he mentions the Father. Right? But if you, if you, uh, if you look down in verse 16, he's going to mention the Holy Spirit. And then in the next verse after that, in verse 17, he, he mentions God the Son. But he begins here specifically highlighting God the Father. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, let me just pause right here and say just a, a practical thing. I've had, I've had people from time to time ask me um, if when you pray, is it wrong to pray to the Son? Is it wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit? Um, and... Uh, or are you only supposed to pray, like direct your prayer to the Father? I've had, I don't know if you've ever wondered that, but I've had people ask me that. Uh, and, uh, and to that, quickly, I just want to say, because this is not the main point of this passage, I just want to say a quick word about this. Uh, it, it wouldn't be wrong to, to address your prayer to any person of, of, of the Trinity because each person is, is fully and truly God as, in, in, in as much as any other. And you have an example, for example, um, in Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. Uh, he's being stoned to death, and before he, before he dies, he, he prays to the Son. It says he prays to Jesus uh, to receive my spirit. So that's an example of him praying, directing his prayer to the Son. We don't have an example in Scripture of anyone directing their prayer to the Holy Spirit. Um, but I, I still... On the, on the fact that the Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. It wouldn't be wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. Still, I think the pattern of Scripture needs to be our, our, our predominant pattern of prayer. And for that reason, the pattern we see most often in Scripture, and you see it here, is that we, uh, we come addressing our prayer to the Father. We come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Like, that's, how, that's, the, that's the way we come. We come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Um, but, the, but we're coming to one God. But then he says, uh, from, I, we, we bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that's not the easiest phrase to understand exactly what Paul means, but I think the gist of what he's trying to get at can be clear. Paul is using a, a play on words in the, in the original language, and it, and. What it seems like he's saying here in the original language is God the Father is the Father of all fathers. He's the Father of all fathers. Um, and I think what he's, what, what he's saying here is akin to something that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7. So if you want to hold your place uh, here in, in Ephesians 3 and hop over to Matthew 7, look with me uh, quickly at something that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. It'll be very, very familiar to us, but in, it's instructive to what we see here in Ephesians 3. In Matthew chapter 7, just um, a short passage, verses 7 through 11. So notice what Jesus says here, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives... Uh, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now watch what he does. He says, or which of you, if his son, okay, so you see he's appealing to fatherhood to highlight the goodness of God to answer our prayers. Which of you, if his son, 
Okay, he's assuming fatherhood here. If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, if you who? If you fathers then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So you see the comparison that Jesus is making there. Earthly fathers in earthly families even though we're sinful people, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Today is my son Sam's birthday. Like I, I'm not a perfect dad, but I wanted, I wanted to give him good things for his birthday. That's just our innate, as a, when you become a father, you'll find it out. Like that's just, you don't want to do harm by your children. You want to do good. And we're sinful people. Uh, and, and, and Jesus' argument here is, is a lesser to a greater comparison. If you, and you know how sinful you are, if you being that sinful still have a desire to do only what is good for your kids, how much more will your Father who is in heaven be this way? Now, you can go back to Ephesians 3. It's the same kind of thing that Paul is saying at the beginning of this prayer in Ephesians 3 when he mentions that, that it is God the Father from whom Every family is named. He is the father of all fathers. His point, is, his point is when we bow our knees to pray, we are bowing to pray to one who is inclined to answer our prayers, every one of our prayers for our good, so that God not only hears our prayers, but he wants to answer our prayers even better than we ask him. I think this comes from Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I know it's J.I. Packer. I think it's Knowing God, which you need to read, and read slowly, and read more than once. But in Knowing God, J.I. Packer said this about prayer. He said that God answers the prayer we ought to have made rather than the prayer we did make. He answers the prayer we ought to have made rather than the prayer we did make. That's the idea of God that, that we always need to keep in our minds. Scripture tells us we have not because we ask not. And it's, and it's never a, a, a waste of time in the slightest to to spend it in prayer because we have a heavenly father who desires our good even more than we do. So Paul reminds us of, of that characteristic of God right out of the chute. Um, and, and remember, this is a prayer that God inspired for us to know about himself when we come to him in prayer, that he is inclined to answer our prayers for our good. He is a perfect heavenly father. But as we keep going in the prayer, we notice that not only is he inclined to answer our prayers, for our good, but the second truth about God that Paul brings to light in verse 16 is this God is able to answer our prayers for our good. He's not just inclined to, He's able to. He's able to answer our prayers for our good. So look at verse 16. Paul prays to God the Father that according to His riches and glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, we'll look at the, the second half of that verse in conjunction with verse 17 in just a minute. But what I want to highlight here is the first half of verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. Okay? In saying that, Paul is highlighting not just the inclination of God as our Heavenly Father, to answer our prayers and to answer them absolutely for our good and never for our harm. But he's also highlighting the, highlighting the unquestionable ability of him to do it. Paul highlights the riches of the glory 
of the, of, of the Father. There is no limit. There is no end to those riches. What are his riches? According to the riches of his glory, how would that come to bear in your life? That according to his, the riches of his glory, he may grant you. What would that look like in real life? Granting you things out of the riches of his glory. Well, it, it, it could include directing resources, material resources your way um, when, when you're in need. You may have experienced that before. I know I have personally, Laura and I have together, have experienced God through, through a generous gift of others directing uh, material things our way. They didn't know it. We knew it. In, 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 in that moment that he just, God knew it. And through another person, he directed material resources our way and met a need. He, he could do it that way. But it's not just in that way that God, from the riches of his glory, grants you these blessings. But, but even if you think about what Scripture teaches us, even the very thoughts and attitudes and actions of people are, are in his sovereign hand. Um, one of my favorite memory verses is Proverbs 21, 1. The, the, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. If, if that's true of the king's heart, it's true of your heart, my heart, anyone's heart. Our hearts are like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it wherever he will, Right? How many times, just think, think, think whole Bible. How many times in the Old Testament did God, for example, send uh, an a, a opposing army against Israel? I mean, he just, he raised up an evil army. Or how many times did, when, when an evil army came against Israel, did God just like sovereignly send them in mass confusion? Or just, there's... Uh, Sennacherib and his army or something, or somebody's there, and he just sends them into a great panic. Everybody just panic, and, and, and it's over. It's just out of the blue, they just panic to ensure the victory of his people. I mean, and, and I think even before that, like, didn't God tell Israel to go to their Egyptian neighbors before the Exodus and ask them to give them their silver or gold? And didn't, didn't they do that? And God just caused them to say, yeah, here, Here's my silver and here's my gold. Like, he caused them to do something that neither they nor anyone would ordinarily do, right? And thus they plundered the Egyptians. Or Psalm 115.3 is another good memory verse. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. These are the riches of his glory, out of which he draws to answer the prayers that we pray when we humbly bring to him. That, that's an amazing set of truths to begin this prayer with, that our Heavenly Father is not only more inclined to answer our prayers for our good than we often have the faith to believe, but that he's also far more able to do it than we're often bold enough to ask. Right? I mean, Paul's going to end this prayer with a doxology saying that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. And knowing these truths, knowing these truths that God inspired Paul to write, the truths he wants us to know about himself, knowing these, it's amazing. And I say this about my own life. It's amazing how prayerless we are in our own lives. You Knowing just that, 
And even when we do pray, how timid we are in our asking. Right? Paul's prayer here is an invitation to pray these things for ourselves and to pray, pray these things for other people that he prays for us and in the verses to follow. But to go into it also confidently knowing that the God to whom we pray is inclined to answer our prayers, this prayer certainly, it's according to his will, and he's more than able to do it. But as Paul continues in the prayer, the requests he makes reveal even more truths about the Lord. Right? And we come to the first request he makes at the end of verse 16 and also in verse 17, and it's this. God desires us to know his presence. That's the third point. That's the first request he makes. Uh, it's the third truth, but the first request. God desires us to know his presence. And, I've, and as I've thought about this prayer, um, I, I keep being so encouraged by the truth that every request of it, again, above anything else, reveals things that God wants us to have, right? Or else he wouldn't have inspired the request. So look at the second half of verse 16 through the first half of verse 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to what? To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we'll stop reading right there for now. So what is the first request he's making? Well, technically, it is one thing that entails another. It is that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being with this entailment so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, right? The, that the Holy Spirit may dwell in your inner being and that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that the Holy Spirit may dwell in your, heart, in your inner being and, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not two separate things, Right? that the full expression of one thing, uh, that he, the Father, may grant that the Son and the Holy Spirit would dwell in your hearts. Now, he's asking for more than this, but not less. It's similar to what he's going to ask at the end of verse 19, if you look there, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I honestly have no idea how to understand the, the full meaning of that truth. I don't, know, I don't know how to put into English words. I don't even know how to think all the English words that would encompass being filled with all the fullness of God. But, at the very least, it is an overwhelming sense of the reality of God's presence with us. God doesn't, in other words, God doesn't merely want us to know intellectually that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But he wants us to know deeply and experientially the reality that he is with us to bless us and empower us to, to trust him, to do his will. And notice the train of thought between verse 16 and 17. Again, we've already point, pointed it out, but that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Think about that logical connection. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that Christ continues to dwell in our hearts through faith. It is the Lord who keeps you believing and trusting. I mean, that's exactly what that says. He's going to grant the Holy Spirit to give you the power so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. It, 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 is, the, it is the Lord who keeps us believing and trusting so that he continues to dwell in us and we know his presence of fellowship and blessing. Now, I'll say two things about that. When, when you... When you personally don't 
when you personally don't feel like you are close to the Lord, when you don't feel like He is close to you, you can read that right there and know that He desires you to know that He is. Right? It, that it is He who is keeping you, not the other way around. Right? What an encouraging truth. The other thing I would say about that is, that is how, that is how you would pray this prayer for somebody else. Like, Lord, like, if you, if, you, if, there, if you have a friend and you know that they are um, in, in a dry place with the Lord, that they just don't feel um, like they're close to the Lord, they're, they're, they're struggling in their walk, I mean, you can pray, Lord, would you, you could literally pray the words of this scripture, Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen them with power in their inner being so that, Christ, you may dwell in their hearts through faith. Lord, keep them believing. Keep them walking in faith. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for them. Well, that's an encouraging truth. But Paul, in his next request, lays out another truth of what God desires. Yes, God desires us to know his presence, but he grants his presence because he desires us to know and display his character. God desires us to know and to display his character. Yeah, we know his presence, but he wants us to know and display his character. Look again at verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, that's a lot of words, but I want to draw your attention to just a few of them. His second prayer request is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. God wants us to know his presence, not just so that we would know something about him, but that we would be like him, rooted and grounded in love. That's what he's praying for, that we be rooted and grounded in love. Now, look at that word comprehend in verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ. That word comprehend means more than just knowing something in your head. Right? But knowing something experientially in a practical way. So Paul is saying that we would be rooted and grounded in love so that we would know something in an experiential way. Now, notice right after the word comprehend, Paul says, with all the saints. That is hugely important. That may be the key to what he's talking about here. That the phrase means. The, the, the phrase that means that when he says that we're rooted and grounded in love, that we're rooted and grounded in love toward each other. Root being, you can't be rooted and grounded in love by your lonesome self. You have to have a people around you to show that love to, right? You have to love someone to be rooted and grounded in, in love, right? And look at what happens according to the text. When we do that, we come, he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We know the love of Christ that he has for us in an experiential and practical way by the way we love each other. That's why Pastor Brian has said more than once that the church is like love university. Like the, the church is like the, the, the group of people that, that teaches you 
It's the, it's the place, the forum you have to love somebody else with the love of Christ. And it's through the giving and receiving of that love to each other that we learn something even deeper about the love of Christ toward us. Right? No, the, knowing the love of Christ uh, is it, it, not just head knowledge. It's, if it's that, it's an incomplete one. It's, uh, it, John says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. When, when we love each other, we don't just come to know and understand the, the sacrificial love that Christ has for us in a better way, but we are at the same time putting that love on display for somebody else. But And this is just something you can't know until you do it, but when the, when the church loves each other like this, as Paul said, praise in this prayer it is so unlike anything else in the world and it and a a church that would love each other in this way it's just it's 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 an attractive place to be um and 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 it's joyful and it deepens our love for him even more so that we continue to know his presence even more and it's all bound up together in the last truth that paul highlights in this prayer Uh, it's found in the doxology at the end and we'll just end quickly with this and we'll actually have some time to talk around our tables This is one of the most beautiful doxologies in Scripture. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen, indeed. That, God is able to do all of this and more, and he does it so that his glory is seen in the church and in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, I, there's just nothing more satisfying, nothing more joyful um, than this. I mean, it's a beautiful prayer. I, I love this prayer. Um, I encourage you to, like I said at the beginning, to dwell on it, to memorize it, to pray it, Pray it for yourself. Pray it for other people. And, and, and as you dwell on this, this, this prayer, and as you pray this prayer, just be in, incredibly mindful that God is, is inclined to answer this more than you think he is, and he is able to do it for your good and for his glory. Let's pray. Well, no, let's not pray. I'm gonna, we'll pray at the end. I want, you to, I want you around your table. We will pray, but not right now. Um, just think, think, go back through this prayer. You have plenty of time. I actually left you plenty of time this morning. Um, go back through this prayer if you need to. And, and we've already, we have already covered. I, I, I came to it from the vantage point of what does this teach us about God, right? Two truths about God, uh, or five truths about God, but three of them in the request that were made, um, two of them in the setup to the prayer. We've, we've thought deeply about what does this teach us about God, but the other three truths that we always ask of any text is not only what does it teach me about God, but what does it teach me about myself, and what does it lead me to do? So go back in the next, I don't know, six, eight minutes, uh, go back through the prayer around your table and, and, and look, at, look at all every aspect of it and the request that we pointed out and, and say, what is it, knowing this about God, what does it also say about me, right, um, that I need to hear? Right, and then also, what would it lead me to do? So y'all do that for just a few minutes, and then I'll come back and close this in prayer.